Uh, my sabbatical was fantastic. Uh, I feel more rested than I have felt in a very, very long time. And uh, so uh, I'm going to be sharing with you more about my sabbatical, from my sabbatical, in weeks ahead. And I, I feel like God just really did some really neat things in my life. I feel like God showed me some things I honestly did not anticipate. I thought I'd spend a lot more time on my bike. I didn't. Uh, I actually only rode over the last uh, two and a half months, I rode like 600 miles, which is not a lot. I mean, you know, I know people who do 200 miles a week, but... Uh, but the, uh, but the, the, the time I spent on my bike was good, uh, but really, and I really didn't read near as many books as I thought I would. Uh, I read a few books, but the books I read, I read them slowly and I did a lot of thinking. I did a lot of writing. Uh, I spent a lot of time, a whole lot of time reading my Bible and not just reading, but reading and rereading and rereading. And I spent uh, of course, I was reading through the Gospels with you guys, but I spent a whole lot of time in Psalm 46. I did. I spent, I, I memorized the whole chapter, and I, I've just been meditating on it, and I think it's really relevant for what we're dealing with right now. So, uh, you, you know, what happened was, uh, you know, we decided, it, it was very, very interesting. It was very interesting. Uh, Because this last week, I just started thinking, you know what, I think it's time for us to be back because of everything that's going on with the coronavirus. And I was kind of thinking this, and I was mulling it over, and and I was thinking about what does it look like to follow Jesus in this season of the coronavirus? And uh, and, and when I was kind of thinking these things through uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, then, uh, and, and we had already, the, the World Health Organization had already declared this uh, a global pandemic. And then on Friday, and, 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 you know, our governor had already asked us to, to not gather in groups of more than 250 people. And then on, on Friday, our president had uh, declared this a national emergency. And then that same day, uh, getting a call from Faith telling us that school was going to be closed for the next two weeks. And then for us, just kind of the the final nail in this, putting it all together, was uh, Costco ran out of toilet paper. I thought, man, this is a national emergency. When we run out of toilet paper in my house, it is a national emergency. Uh, But I just thought, you know... And I talked to Joy about it, and, and Joy's comment was this. Is she said, you know, the heart of a shepherd is with the flock. And, and she was feeling this. I was feeling this. So I contacted the elders. I, I contacted Matt, and I, I asked, can we meet, and can we talk? And, uh, and, and really, Friday night, I was just kind of mulling this over and thinking about stuff. So I woke up early Saturday morning, and I just began typing you know, you know, putting in a Word document a lot of what I was thinking about and what I felt like uh, was really important for us to consider. And, and as I was doing that, I, I met with the elders, and I kind of shared with them, and I met with Matt, and I shared with them some of what I was thinking. And all of us collectively felt like this was a consensus opinion. Uh, I, I was not going to make a unilateral decision. Uh, it was real interesting. On, on Friday afternoon, I got this call from Sam Contreras. And a lot of you know Sam. He's a Navy chaplain. And, uh, and, and Sam has been in ministry for a very, very long time. And I was talking with him. And he said, you know, Gary, you need to meet with your elders. You, you need to call them. You need to meet with them. And he said, you need to make this decision collectively. This is not a decision you should make. It's not a decision any one single person should make. But it is a decision you should pray over, talk about together, and, 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 uh, and then take appropriate action. But what I want to do is I, I want to just... I want to share with you a couple of thoughts, and I'm going to go off script because I don't have a script with me. Uh, but I want to. But I had something that God spoke to me this morning, and I just thought, you know what? You got to share that. You got to share that because it is so relevant. You know, there's some things, some things um, we think are new, and yet they really aren't. Uh, they're just new again for us. But but it was it was really fascinating, and and. And, and one thing is, what does it look like for you? What does it look like for me to follow Jesus in this time of the coronavirus? And, 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 and folks, there are real reasons to be concerned. There really are. There really are. And if someone is really struggling and really afraid, don't tell them you shouldn't be afraid. 
And, and I'm going to tell you why not to say that, all right? To tell a person you shouldn't be afraid dismisses their feelings, and it dismisses them. Okay? It dismisses them. It just says you're not valid and your feelings aren't valid. So, uh, but at the same time, listen to people with compassion. That's what Jesus did. He always listened with compassion. He always listened with empathy. And that is part of what following Jesus looks like. It looks a lot like empathy. And in, uh, in, 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 but at the same time, what we don't want to do is we don't want to get caught up in the panic. We don't want to get caught up in the panic. We don't want to be paralyzed by fear. We, we don't want that. See, what the Bible says in Psalm 46, and this is what I've been meditating on daily uh, since the beginning of this year. I've just been going through this day after day after day, reading it, rereading it, rereading it, going out for a bike ride and just quoting Scripture to myself. But, but this is what has been going through my mind, is God is our refuge and strength. Do you hear that? that? Those are not my words. Those are the words of God. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. You hear that? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though it feels like the whole world is crumbling and falling apart. That's what the Bible's saying. We will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge. He is our strength and ever-present help in trouble. It's very, very interesting. I honestly believe that God is, in the words of, of Ray Johnston, uh, in email I read from him the other day, God is, in the words of Ray Johnston and the leadership staff at Bayside Church up in Granite Bay, God is up to something. You know that? God is up to something. We are, uh, excuse me, wow, there's a hole there. Uh, don't step on there, okay? Don't step like I did, all right? Uh, but God is up to something. God is up to something. And, and you know, don't, I, I, Jen, we're going to find a way, not now, but when we've gone through this season, we'll find a way to do our egg hunt. We'll find a way to do that. We're just not going to do it right now. But what we're going to do is we're going to align ourselves with what God is doing right now. And I honestly believe this looks really simpler, or excuse me, looks really similar to something that happened in earlier centuries with Christians. Uh, back before uh, Christians had buildings for churches, but the church was a, a people and not a building. Back before they had egg hunts, uh, what they did is they profoundly loved people. They did. In fact, there's a guy who's known in history as Julian the Apostate. Anybody ever heard of Julian the Apostate? And, and some of you may know the story because I've shared this story before. And it's been a while since I reviewed it. So if I get a fact here, they're not absolutely right. Hopefully I get the, the spirit of it right. But it was real interesting is that Julian the Apostate really didn't like Christians. He really didn't like Christians. And you know why he didn't like Christians? Because they didn't just love one another. They loved pagans. They loved the followers of the traditional religions of Rome and Greece, which was called paganism. And they, they loved these people. And at a time of plague, when people were dying from the plague, they would take not only other Christians into their homes and care for them in these times of need, they were actually taking the pagans into their homes and loving them to health. They were modeling the, the, what they saw in the Gospels of Jesus that you've been reading. They were modeling what, what Jesus did when he reaches out and touches the leper. And I'm not talking about reckless behavior, but I am talking about a love that looks and sounds reckless. And I believe what God wants us to do is God wants us to, to love one another in this crisis and care for one another and care for one another's needs. 
And I think beyond that, what God wants us to do is he wants us to love our neighbor. You know, what, what Joy shared with me, and, and, and this made really good sense for me when we were talking yesterday, because I reviewed with her what I was supposed to say, which I'm not really saying. But when I was reviewing with her, because she's the one who brings sanity, uh, a lot of sanity into my life. But it's really interesting is that, that one of the things that Jesus said is she said, look at the people around you. Look for maybe uh, the elderly or someone. And Matt said almost the same thing, I think, in the, the letter that he sent in my name yesterday, the email. Uh, but he, he said, you know, look for people who are in need and, and find a way to help them. And, and what Joy is going to do, we have uh, some friends of ours. And uh, actually, Terry passed away uh, just a few weeks ago. Actually, it's been a little over a month ago now. And Terry was a guy. I love Terry so much. He, he went. Anyway, I, I really love Terry a lot. And um, and. Um, he's with Jesus now, and Carolyn's alone. And so what Joy's going to do is she's going to give Carolyn a call, and she's going to just say, hey, can I go to the grocery store for you and bring some things home? And, and so, you know, I, what I think we're supposed to be doing is I think right now, rather than trying to create a, a big program, we're just supposed to be loving really, really well, although I do think we need a plan, and we need to find ways to work together. So what I want to do... What we want to do is, and again, this comes from that same email that I received from Ray Johnson. I just want to borrow a, a, a simple outline of action that I think works for them and works for us, and then we're going to figure out how to do this in weeks ahead. Is that okay if we kind of figure this out as we do it? But three things, three things that God wants us to do. And the number one thing that God wants us to do is God wants us to pray. I believe that with all my heart. But we want to pray, we want to unleash compassion, and we want to give. God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray like everything depends upon Him. God wants us to pray like everything depends upon Him. You know why? Because it does. Because it does. He wants us to pray like everything depends upon Him. And what? And, and did you know this about God? Did you know this? There is no mountain he cannot move. There is no mountain he cannot move. Did you know, our God, there is no crisis greater than our God. A crisis may feel huge to us, but to him, it's a small little thing. It is. And so what God wants us to do is he wants us to pray. And and you know how he wants us to pray? Is he wants us to pray for our nation. He wants us to pray for our nation. He wants us to pray for our community. He wants us to pray that we will turn to God. That we will turn to God. That we will humble ourselves. That we will seek Him above all things. That's how God wants us to pray. You know how God wants us to pray? God wants us to pray for... for, for uh, he wants us to pray for people like uh, Rich Friedrich and Laura Kelly and Tracy Johnson and, and medical professionals, people who are loving and caring for the sick in our community. He wants us to pray for their protection and for their health. And he wants us to pray for our health and our protection as well. But we want to pray. The second thing that we want to do is we want to unleash compassion. And what that looks like is just, you know, it, it needs to be something that's concrete, simple, that you can do that shows kindness to another person. And what we're going to figure out together is, is that you may already know someone that God is wanting you to buy a, a, a bag of groceries for them and take it to them or pick up some toilet paper, whatever. You may already know who that person is. Or there may be someone that you know and you really feel like God is wanting you to, to minister to them, but their needs are beyond what you can do. And so we're going to ask you to contact us, and we're going to figure out a way how we can support you in reaching out and ministering to the need of that person. But what we're going to do is we're going to love people to Jesus, and we're going to love people to health. And that's what it means to unleash compassion. And the third thing that God wants us to do is that God wants us to give. God wants us to give. That God wants us to, to, to God has called us to be the servants of this community. Did you know that? He's called us to be the servants of the community. He's called us to be invested in working together to reach people who desperately need not just healthy bodies, but healthy souls. 
who need Jesus. And God wants us to work together for this. And, and so God wants us to, to give like Jesus to help make all this happen. And so I am, I believe, in, in, in weeks ahead, we'll be talking a little bit more about this. Uh, but uh, in, in what I want us to do is, is I just want us to, to pray together as a church. Uh, yesterday, our, our president asked us to make this a national day of prayer. And so what I want to do right now is can I lead us in prayer about this whole thing? Is that okay? God, today we want to acknowledge that uh, you are great. You are awesome. And you are awesomely in charge of everything that's happening. The world may look like it's in chaos. The world may look like it's falling apart. But, God, you are awesomely in charge. And you are good and you are faithful. And there is nothing you cannot do. There is no mountain you cannot move. And so, God, we're asking you to work. We're asking you to work. And we know that you are. God, we pray for our own lives. Sometimes it's easier for us to point out the the failures of others than it is to confess our own. But what we want to do is, God, we want to humble ourselves before you. We want to repent of everything that distracts us from pure-hearted devotion to you. And, God, what we want to do is we want to follow you in simplicity and humility and with great love. God, help us to love our neighbors. Help us to love people to Jesus. And Lord, I pray for this nation. I pray that we would humble ourselves and that we would seek you above all things. That we would repent of our sin. That we would turn to you. And I pray for that. God, I do pray for for Rich. And I I, want to pray for Laura. And I want to pray for Tracy and any other uh, medical professional in our church I'm not thinking of right now. But I want to pray. I want to pray that you would protect them. I want to pray that you'll keep them healthy. And Lord, use them to minister to people in your name. Lord, I I ask for your protection for all of us. Help us to be wise. Help us, God, to be, um, as Jen just shared from uh, Joshua Joshua 1.9, to be strong and courageous. To not be terrified or discouraged. Because you are with us. Uh, God, right now, I want to pray for my, my friend Dan, who's getting ready to come up and share the word of God with us. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, anoint him with your spirit. I pray that you would take the word of God that he reads to us today and that he shares with us today. And, Lord, I ask you to help us humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. And I ask you to work in our hearts uh, in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to introduce to you Dan Bryant. I've known Dan for, I don't, I don't even remember. It's been years. Yeah. So Dan and I used to be on the board together. Uh, I'm still on the board right now. Uh, actually, Dan's, the senior pastor at Dan's church, uh, Craig Hardinger, is the new executive director for Next Gen Churches. But we were on the board together many, many years ago. We went through kind of a hard season at one time there as a board. And I always loved Dan uh, because he was a, a voice of calm and reason. I was the other voice. <laughs> but I always listened to Dan because I just felt like, you know, there's wisdom. There's wisdom in what he shares. And so I'm really grateful. And beyond all this, I didn't know this before today. Before he was a pastor, he was the vice president of a bike company that made bikes. So he's a fellow cyclist. So, so Dan, why don't you come on up, okay? okay. People say, hey, you know what, Dan, you are so loud. You don't need to turn that mic on. I can already hear you, but uh, that's okay. You will not fall asleep today, I guarantee it. By the way, how, when should I go till? Uh, one, one or two? Oh, they don't let me do that back home, I'll tell you. About what time? Oh, okay, okay, great. Well, hey, good morning. Let me just pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I just think it was so amazing that, um, that Gary would pray about the implanted word in our hearts by faith. 
that was a, as you know, Lord, I, that was part of what I read about from, uh, from James chapter 1. So, Lord, we thank you that your word can save our souls. Lord, we pray that today you would take John 7, Lord, that you'd impress it upon our hearts, that you'd make it come alive. Lord, that we would be like the men on the road to Emmaus, where our hearts just burned in your presence. Lord, you promise that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And Lord, we want to do that this morning. Lord, we want to give you our full attention. Lord, we want to acknowledge the fact that you're in this room with us right now. Lord, you're not distant. You're a close God, a personal God who wants to touch and impact and encourage and to bless and, Lord, to draw us closer and closer to you. Lord, we want to spend time with you this morning. And, Lord, yeah, we've talked about the coronavirus already. Lord, it's, it's captured our attention, and, but you're greater than that. You are greater than that coronavirus. You're greater than the affliction that the world is facing right now. And, Lord, we want to put our trust, our faith, and our confidence in you. Lord, would you cause faith to rise in our hearts today as we move from fear to faith this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person in this room, that you'd bless those that are watching on uh, Facebook. Lord, may this be a glorious day around your word. Thank you so much, Lord. In in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as Gary just said, we've known each other for uh, probably over 15, 16 years he didn't know this. I didn't know he was going to be here today. So you just, you know, you just have to listen to these praises and accolades, okay? And uh, I love this man, your pastor, um, and his love for Fairfield, his love for California, his love for the world, his love for you. It's very, very evident that he, uh, he talked about this earlier. He has a pastor's heart, doesn't he? He has a shepherd's heart. And, uh, you know, you're very lucky to have a pastor, that is in that kind of a, a league. He's just a, a great man, and uh, I can't give you enough accolades and uh, just thank you for being who you are. And <laughs> Okay. And you know what? I also have a warm spot in my heart for Fairfield, for you all. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law lived in Susan City. My daughter-in-law taught math at Rodriguez High School on Red Top Road. My son, somebody go to Rodriguez? Oh, well, here, here. <laughs> well, amen. So, see, we've got a lot in common. My son worked at the bike shop at Rockville, Rockville Bike Shop. And, uh, uh, and I had an amazing experience here in Fairfield. I'll tell you about it in a little bit. But a couple weeks ago, actually just a, a little bit over a week ago, I had to come to Dixon and to do a uh, funeral at the National Cemetery over there. I thought, you know what? Since I'm halfway there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive over to Solano Valley Church, and I'm just going to prayer walk the facility. And you know, prayer walking is walking on-site with insight, or praying on-site with insight. So I prayed for you. I prayed for this church. That I asked God that his mantle of blessing would be upon you, that he would mobilize you, and that he would use you as a church, as a, as a lightning rod, as a, as a way to encourage the people here in Fairfield and wherever your travels may take you. I prayer walked this strip mall and uh, prayed for the, the businesses here, prayed for their prosperity, prayed for the people who work in the businesses here, prayed for the people who trade here. Hopefully they're still going to trade here. And uh, went up and down the, the sidewalk here, and I prayed for the two flooring stores next door. I prayed for multiple insurance companies, dentists, attorneys, real estate companies. I prayed for the Crown's Barbershop and uh, the India Spice Store. I went in there. Obviously, it's run by Hindu people, and they had Ganesh and all kind of stuff in there. Boy, Lord, we need to pray for this place. Prayed for Tasty India Pizza. Now, I don't know what that is. Um, but it sounds intriguing, and, and uh, prayed for Hop Hing's Kitchen. Went into, um, I think it's called Solomon's Tailor Shop, run by Mongolian people. Very interesting. Um, I got to Kinder's Barbecue. Oh, my, 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 my. I'll tell you, their, their, uh, their ball tip sandwich, amazing. Truly amazing. I think I might be like this if I worked anywhere near where you guys are. And uh, anyway, 
you have great cultural diversity here. It's very, very evident that there's a lot of cultural diversity. I didn't quite know how to pray for the two massage parlors and, and Dave's liquor store that are here. But, you know, the Lord said, hey, pray for Dave. Pray for those people that go there. And I could see uh, some evidence in the parking lot that, oh, yeah, he must be doing a good job. So anyway, but we want to pray for people. And, and your Rock Hills Regional Park, absolutely beautiful. What a gem that place is. And, uh, you know, Fairfield is, a, is an amazing community. And uh, Solano Valley is so beautiful out there. I hadn't been out there in a while. Just terrific. Well, today we're going we're gonna to go into the Gospel of John and continue in our story about the Gospel of John. And, you know, John is written unlike the other three Gospels. John is written with intentionality. And his intention is this. He writes it in uh, John 20:31. He says, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you, you may have life in his name. And that's what the Gospel of John is all about, that we may have life in his name, those of us who believe. And John will emphasize believing in Jesus. I want you to see how Jesus is always in control of the situation. Always, always, always. He was then and he is today. And I want you to listen to this story. Not from the perspective of maybe the first time somebody might hear the Gospel of John and read the Gospel of of, uh, chapter 7. I want you to think about it on this side of the cross what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, and that what he was doing then, he literally had in mind each one of us. That everything that he did, he saw through the quarters of time. He saw you and me. He saw what he would be accomplishing at the cross. And he did it willingly. And he knew the difference that he would do, that he would make even in John chapter 7. And that difference can make a difference in our lives today. And so I want you to listen to it with that perspective. Well, our story today is the classic good guy versus bad guy conflict. And the conflict is so intense that the bad guys, the Jews, they want to kill the good guy, Jesus. And there's a couple of showdowns in this story. But amazingly, uh, the bad, in the showdowns, the bad guys never lay a hand on Jesus. He is always in control. Even though they are raging with anger, Jesus is in control. Now today our story takes uh, place against the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles. So let me just tell you about what those were. It's one of three feasts that uh, would be on the Jewish calendar. Uh, Two of the feasts, one is going to come up pretty quick here, it's Passover, and then a little while after that it's Pentecost. Those happen in the spring. And Jews would would celebrate those every year. But then in the fall of the year, they celebrate something called the Feast of Booths or of Tabernacles. And that usually happens toward the end of September or the beginning of October. And the Feast of Tabernacles commemorates or causes the people who are celebrating it to remember the 40 years that the Jews wandered in the desert and they had to set, set up Uh, temporary dwelling places or booths. And so people would set up these temporary booths or little tent-like things, huts, little structures. Today, the Jews call this Sukkoth. And I actually have a Jewish doctor. And I went to see her last fall, and we were talking, and she said, oh, you know what? We celebrate Sukkoth. I went to Walmart, I bought this little lean-to thing, set it up in my backyard. My husband and my kids and I we, we go back there, we, we pray, we cook dinner, or we eat dinner there, rather, and then we sleep out there. And they do that for a whole week. I thought, well, isn't that interesting that that's still celebrated this time, uh, you know, in, in our day and age? And so against that backdrop, and you can find out, uh, the, there are references in Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Leviticus. Probably the best reference to this is in Deuteronomy 16.13. Well, let me... Uh, let me jump right into chapter 7 because we, we want to use all the time we can. Chapter 7 begins with these words. Uh, <clears throat> scene 1, Jesus teaching in Galilee. 
John says, after this, after this. And so he's referring to what had preceded it. Chapter 5, there is a man who was lame. He'd been lame for, you remember, 38 years. 38 years lame by the pool of Bethesda. Never been, uh, never was able to be healed. Can you imagine the discouragement, the desperation, the, the, uh, the, just the absolute lack of hope that this man must have had? But he didn't realize. He didn't realize that that was all about to change. That hopelessness would be changed to hope in his life because he was going to have a divine appointment with the master of the universe. And Jesus would come into his life. And we sang about it earlier today. Jesus would come into his life, talk to him, and tell him to pick up his mat and to walk. Bam! He was healed. In an instant, those 38 years vanished and he was healed. And you know what happens? The Pharisees, they're ticked. What? He healed on the Sabbath? They lost the whole point, didn't they? It's all about the guy getting, getting help. It's not about keeping the law. But of course, in their mind, they can't see that. And so that's going to come into play uh, very importantly in just a minute. But then there's other things about in chapter 6 about Jesus feeding the 5,000, calming the storm that Matt just had us sing about, and all these wonderful things. And then, toward the end of that chapter, many of Jesus' disciples start to fall away. And Jesus looks at his disciples And he says, will you leave me too? And Peter responds with these great words. He says, Master, to whom shall we turn? For you have the words of eternal life. And Jesus does indeed have the words of eternal life. And so, against that backdrop, Jesus is is teaching in Galilee. And his brothers are there. And he's teaching, and there's a plot already forming in Judea to kill Jesus. A plot already being established that we want to get Jesus. But his half-brothers come to him and says, Master, you know, why don't you go with us? Or he doesn't say Master, they say, Brother, why don't you go with us to Judea? You don't need to be here in Galilee teaching in this backwater country. You know, you need to go down to Judea, to Jerusalem, and to teach where people are going to see the miracles. But Jesus responds with these amazing words. He's going to say this three times. He's going to say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. He would say that in verse 8 as well and in verse 30 as well. His brothers leave and they go to Jerusalem. And Jesus stays behind. But secretly, a few days pass and he arrives in Jerusalem for the, the Feast of the Tabernacles about halfway through. Scene two, um, Jesus is teaching by the temple. And in Jerusalem, he's near the, te- the temple. And the Jews are searching for him. Where is he? Where's this Jesus? We're hearing about him. He's got to be here. We've got to find out about this Jesus. Who is he? Is he really who he says he is? Or is he an imposter? And the people are also kind of asking that same question. They're wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he a prophet? Is he a charlatan? We don't know. But the, you know, that question is circulating, kind of like the coronavirus. Everybody has an opinion. And, uh, and so people are wondering. But nobody is saying anything out loud because they're fearful of the Jews. And if they say the wrong thing, it could be bad news for them. But Jesus teaches in the temple. He teaches with great power. He teaches with eloquence. He teaches with relevance. He teaches... Uh, in a way that speaks directly to the people's hearts. And the Jews marvel. Well, how can this man teach so well? He's never been to one of our schools. He never went to Western Seminary. He never went to Dallas Theological Seminary. How can can he teach so well? And, And yet, Jesus replies to them what they consider to be blasphemy. We consider it to be a blessing. He says, my teaching is not mine. My teaching comes from God. I am not speaking on my own authority, but His. Most teachers speak to bring themselves glory. I speak to bring God glory. 
Did Moses give you the law? He's asking a question. But none of you keep the law. Can you imagine? They were probably fuming at that point. What? None of us keep. How dare you? None of you keep the law. He then has a very interesting remark. He says, why do you seek to kill me? He's implying that in killing him, they would be murdering him. And that would be breaking the law. You know what their response is? You've got a demon! You've got a demon! You, know, you can see the tension boiling here, can't you? That it's kind of building up. You've got a demon. And cleverly, John puts in the, this, this word. It's one of these places where John goes back two chapters to chapter 5 and at the pool of Bethesda. He says, I, uh, I did one work and you marvel referring to healing this man who had been lame for 38 years. And you marvel. Think about this. Moses gave you circumcision on the eighth day. And sometimes that eighth day falls on a Sabbath. And you continue to do the circumcision. You're working on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law on the Sabbath. And yet you're mad at me? Wait a minute. If you judge... Judge by doing what is right, not by appearances. Don't just do what looks good. Do what is right. They are furious at this point. Next day comes. Jesus, and we call this the conflict in the temple. He continues. He's back the next day. He's speaking openly. The people are beginning to wonder, is he really the Christ? And there's a misconception that the Christ will suddenly just sort of walk into town as the secret savior of the world. He'll be a little bit like Melchizedek that just suddenly, just suddenly appears. And that's all wrong, isn't it? Because we know, we who study our Bibles know that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophetic scripture. That his birth was foretold. His lineage was foretold. The towns that he, he was to live in, all foretold. Over 333 prophecies fulfilled in the birth and the life of Jesus. And so he says some straight about that. And he says this, You know me. You know where I come from. I came from him who sent you, but you don't know him. I know him, and I have come from him. More blasphemy for, to them, more blessings for us. Do you sense their outrage and their anger building? And they sought to kill him even more. But John says, no one ever lays a hand on him. Can you see this tension? It's pretty amazing. It's a great story. And then in verse 31, John makes this great statement. He says that in the midst of all this, yet many people believed. That's his point. Many people believed. And I know that most of you, if not all of you, believe. And we're going to see how that plays into our life today. Many people believe. Scene four. No one ever spoke like this. It's the next day. Jesus is inside the temple in Jerusalem. It's probably day seven or, or maybe the next to the last day. We're not quite sure on this. Things are really getting out of hand now. The Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, they're all boiling over with red-hot rage. You know, there's a TV commercial that I, I don't particularly like this commercial, but it's for Stanton Optical. And... And there's this guy on there that, that gets mad and he just goes, get out of here. I think it's with that kind of emotion that the chief priest, like the Stanton Optical guy, the chief priest says, go get him. He calls the temple guards. He says, go get him. Go arrest Jesus and bring him back to me. I think that's kind of the emotion that's being uh, emitted by the chief priest. So he dispatches the guards and they go to get him. But amazingly, they sit with him and uh, they listen to what he says. And Jesus continues to teach with great authority and boldness. Jesus teaches about the what is to come, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will be with you a little longer. You will seek me, but you cannot find me. And where I go, you cannot come. And the Jews are wondering, well, is he going to go to another country? Is he going to go to Greece or someplace else? The controversy about Jesus continues to rage. It gets turned up a notch or two. 
And many people are continuing to wonder, is he really the Christ? And others are saying, oh, no, no, I think he's just a prophet. Some say, well, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? It's really a derogatory term. It's a prejudicial term that they're using. How can he come from Galilee? And then John redirects our focus back to the temple. And he says this, the guards suddenly come in, and they come in empty-handed. Now, you can think of that Stanton Optical guy now. Can you imagine the high priest? He is really fuming at this, at this point. He's saying, what? Where is he? And uh, the temple guards make this very, very telling statement. They say, no man ever spoke like this. Verse 46. No man ever spoke like this. Well, I want you to think about that for just a minute. What's implied here? The guards have just heard Jesus. They've been with him. And they are now beginning to wonder, maybe even to believe in Jesus. Maybe he truly is the Christ. Maybe what he says is true. And they're not so sure. They want to bring Jesus to the back to because they know what's going to await him. They leave him where he's at, knowing that probably life is not going to be very good for them from here on out. No one ever spoke like this. The air is filled with rage. And Jesus, against Jesus, is volatile. It's so palatable, you could probably cut a knife through it. They're starting to reach the boiling point. The priests and the Pharisees, they want to kill him. They want to kill the, the guards even. They're so outraged. And at this point, one of our old friends stands up, Nicodemus. And he stands up in the middle of this fray, this riot, And he says, doesn't our law require a hearing and learning what a man has done even before we charge him? And they respond back to him, what, are you Galilean too? I mean, this is really, I mean, it's very prejudicial. But you know what we see from all this? John tells us that no one lays a hand on Jesus. This is like one of the best, you couldn't do a TV show that was any better than this. No one lays a hand on Jesus, even in the face of great conflict. Jesus is in control. Scene five, the promise of the Holy Spirit and the invitation to come. In the middle of this former ruckus, the guards were listening. His brothers may have been listening. The disciples may have been there listening. It's the last day of the feast, the feast of the tabernacles. And it's to recall God's provision for them, how Moses would hit a rock twice. And when you remember what happened? Water gushes out of it. And water is what they needed at that time. It's God's provision for them. And the priest at this uh, particular fe- uh, feast would come out with a pitcher of water. And on the last day, he would pour that water on a large rock, symbolizing what Moses had done and how water had gushed forth. And it's against this backdrop in an arid land that the people are seeing um, God's provision. They're seeing water. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And he says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. That's an invitation for them. And you know, across the centuries, It's an invitation for us as well, isn't it? If you thirst, come to me and to drink. Come to me and drink. And I will will give you what you need. I will bring refreshment. I will bring relief to your weary soul. And he makes that invitation to us today, doesn't he? Come to me and drink. But then there's more. He uh, He says, whoever believes, as the scripture says, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. I just want you to, we, you know, scholars debate about this. Well, what scripture was Jesus referring to? I think it might have been two. And I want you just to hear these words and let them refresh your soul today. The first one may have been Isaiah 58:11. Listen to these words. And the Lord will guide you continually and will satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a well-watered garden, 
like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Or it, might have, or it may have been Psalm 36, 7 to 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light do we see light. Aren't those wonderful words? Words that are meant to be a a healing balm to our souls in difficult times like these. Well, that ends our narrative for today. But there's one last verse in chapter 7. It's a teaser verse. And the teaser verse is meant to get us to chapter 8, which maybe you'll do next week. And it's about the woman caught in adultery. And so stay tuned. See what's coming next week. Could be racy. We don't know. Anyway, so stay tuned for next week. Well, what can we learn from this? Three things very, very quickly. First of all, John writes, the purpose of this is that we might believe and that we might receive eternal life and the Holy Spirit. I love your pastor's heart. We share the same heart for evangelism. If we could, we would, we would share the gospel every day with every person we possibly can because we're so motivated. And the gospel is such good news. And I know that that's the heart that you guys have too. And yet we see that in this story, some believed. Praise God for that. Some believed. But some said Jesus was a demon. Some a prophet. But I guess it boils down to this. What do you believe? What do you believe? And what is really believing? Well, let me tell you what believing isn't. Believing isn't what we call intellectual assent, which means you would know a lot about Jesus, just like you know a lot about, let's say, George Washington. First president, chopped down the cherry tree, picture on a dollar bill, so forth and so on. But George Washington is not doing anything for us right now. So we know that when he says believe, it's not having head knowledge. It's something far different. And it's really what we call saving faith. It's putting our trust completely in what Jesus did at the cross for us. We like to use the word a transfer of trust where we transfer our trust from ourselves and our own ability to control the situation, to to be right with God even, and to recognize that, you know what? Just like Jesus said in this chapter, none of you keeps the law. None of us keeps the law either. So we can't really shake our finger at the Jews because none of us are perfect either, are we? We can never get to God that way. We get to God by what he did on the cross for us. And Jesus had the cross fully in mind when he was in this chapter. And so um, that brings us to our second point, which is this. Three times he says, my time has not come yet. Why would he say that? Well, he said it, I think, for two reasons. First of all, he needed to fulfill prophecy and that that was an important part of of why he was here. But more importantly, he wanted to do everything everything just the right way. He didn't want to leave one step out. He didn't want to leave one person out in his plan of redemption to rescue you and me. That he wanted to do it the right way. He wanted to do it with each of us in mind. And so that would take some time. But also there's a second part to this plan. What we call his redemptive plan. And that was the disciples. He wanted the disciples to spend as much time as possible. Because time with Jesus, what does it do? Pastor Gary just referred to this. It changes things. He spent much, a great amount of time in Psalm 46. I know it changed you. And time with Jesus changes things. It changed the disciples. And it, he had to see that change in him, in them, excuse me, because he, you know what the next step was. He would be leaving, as he told them. And it would be on their shoulders to bring the gospel to a waiting world. And what did they do? They brought the gospel to a waiting world, the gospel of grace. And that same process continues to this day. 
that Jesus makes disciples, people who spend time, 90 days with Jesus, and spend time with Jesus so that they can go out and to declare the gospel of grace, to declare the hope that is within them to a world that is without hope today. And we face that world today, don't we? Probably more than we ever have in our whole life. And so Jesus needed to make disciples to do just that. You know, the world was turned upside down because of what the disciples did. And now the world is coming to Fairfield. And, you know, testimony of just walking up and down this mall. And our objective is to go out and to share that gospel with every person we possibly can. And, you know, it may be difficult, but we want to do that. That's our job. And then number three, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit would come. He says, from your heart will flow rivers of living waters. You know what that is? That's exactly what Pastor Gary talked about. It's the compassion that we're to have. It's those waters are not for us. They're for everyone else. And so from our hearts flow those rivers of living waters. And, um, and, and so I ask myself these questions. You know, am I like a well-watered garden? Am I following the lead of the Holy Spirit? Do I know his voice and feel his tug? Have I experienced a divine appointment recently? Maybe even today. And I want to share a story with you. It happened right here in Fairfield. Every morning it's my practice when I spend time with the Word, in the, with the Lord uh, and in the Word, I pray. And I ask the Lord, please sensitize my heart today to your Holy Spirit. I know that I'll have a divine appointment today but help me to recognize when it happens. Oftentimes, they come in and they go, and we had no clue that God was intersecting our life. Well, on this particular Saturday morning, I had to go to Marin County to a golf course over there called Peacock Gap and to do a wedding. So I put on my tuxedo uh, for the, that's what they wanted, and uh <clears throat> In those days, I drove this old Volvo, the boxy kind. You know what I'm talking about? It was a 240. This thing was built like a tank. And, uh, but, I mean, it wasn't fast. It wasn't glamorous. It was not like Volvos today at all. I mean, you had to crank the, to get the sunroof to open. Half the time it wouldn't open, and I'd have to take the gears apart. Anyway, um, I drove over there, did the wedding, and I'm coming back. And it's probably like maybe 7 or 7.30 in the evening. It's the summertime. The sun is still out. And uh, I get just past the, the Cordelia interchange. And I feel this very strong impulse from the Holy Spirit. Totally random. I mean, this is so random. And it's, it's like God's voice saying, go to the Volvo dealer. I think, What? Go to the Volvo dealer. But, you know, when you recognize God's voice, you follow, right? It's so random. So I go to the Volvo dealer that was there in the Momentum Group, I think you said. And uh, and so pull in, and, and I'm looking at these used cars, wondering, well, Lord, what's the next step here? And the salesman comes over and says, hey, you want to go for a test drive? I said, sure. How about this red one? So we get in this red Volvo, and... We take off. We're driving up in Solano Valley, and, and uh, I'm not really interested in the car. But as we're driving along, I'm teasing the guy, the salesman. I said, hey, I bet you've never had anybody come look at used cars in a tuxedo before. And he looks at me and says, no, man, you are the very first one. <laughs> he says, what are you doing? Why are you here in a tuxedo? And so I said, well, it's because uh, I just, I'm a pastor, and I just did a wedding over in we're in County. I'm driving back to Sacramento. He gets kind of quiet. And he says, you know, my girlfriend and I are kind of thinking about getting married. Do you think you could do that for us? I said, well, sure. You know what? When we get done, I'll give you my card. and You call me in Sacramento and you can come, come over and we'll do premarital and, and see about the next steps here. So, I, like I said, I wasn't interested. So we drive back to the, to the car dealership over here. 
Park the car. And all of a sudden, he starts crying. I think, aha, that's what this is all about. And I think his name was John. We'll use John anyway. I said, John, tell me, what's up? He said, you know, he says, this is the weirdest, strangest thing. Two years ago, I was in high school. And my senior year of high school, I went to a camp. And the last day of the camp, they had a campfire. And the counselors all talked to us around this campfire. And they asked us if we wanted to, to receive Jesus as our Savior. And I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus as my Savior. But then I went home. Two years passed. And I haven't prayed a bit. My life is falling apart now. And just last night, I prayed for the first time in two years that God would bring somebody into my life and all of a sudden, you show up in a tuxedo! Are you an angel? And I assured him, I said, no, 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 I'm not an angel. I can guarantee you that. But I do believe that God called me to come here. And so we got out of the car. And you don't know me well enough, but it's my... I'll pray anywhere at any time. I'm not, embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so literally in a tuxedo... I got down on the cement or the blacktop there, put my arms around him. We prayed for the things that were bothering him. And do you know how you can feel people staring at you? Have you ever had that? <laughs> I had that sensation right toward the end of this prayer. Uh, I feel like somebody's staring at us. We say, Amen. I look up. And here's like the whole sales staff in their <laughs> office, their noses pressed up against the window, pointing down at these guys. What are they doing down there? And, and the point being this, that you know what? We need to be led by the Holy Spirit, don't we? That from our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that God will lead us every day into divine appointments where we can just do a kind deed for somebody. We can, we can uh, offer a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Maybe we can even share the gospel, which would be really great. Or just even a part of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. And so I want to just challenge you today to, to do just that. To move from doing things for Jesus and to begin doing things with Jesus. You know, that's a big difference, isn't it? Stop doing things for him and to do things with him. Join him in what he is doing. And you know, will you move from fear to faith today? And I think we can do that. And then I just want to make one closing comment. I think it's very interesting in our story today that here in the backdrop, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they were commemorating God's provision for their lives and how God had taken care of the Jews for 40 years, taking care of their needs. Their shoes never wore out. They never went hungry. They had manna or whatever. They even had water in miraculous ways. God took care of them. And yet that very same God who took care of the people they were commemorating, he was face to face with them. The very one who took care of them was face to face. And yet they never believed. Well, some did. Some believed. And my point is this. That God is the same yesterday today, and tomorrow. That God who took care of them so many thousands of years ago and their every need, He will take care of us today as well. In the middle of, of uncertain times, in the middle of great crisis, He will take care of us today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are in this room. Lord, we thank You that you wrote John chapter 7. And Lord, today, I don't know if there'd be someone in here, but we always want to, we never want to pass up the opportunity. Lord, if there would be someone who's not passed from uh, just intellectual assent to truly believing in you, Lord, I pray that today they would put their whole trust in you. And Lord, we know that that's just done by, by an act of our will. 
saying, Lord Jesus, I want to trust in you today. Lord, I open my heart up to you and ask you to come in. I invite you to become the Savior and the Lord of my life. I want to live for you the rest of my life. And then today, Lord, we know that there are many people today in this very room who, Lord, maybe they're struggling. That, uh, Lord, that, that they've had this, this, these doubts. Lord, I pray that you will remove those doubts and replace them with faith. Lord, we surrender our fears to you today and we invite you. In fact, Lord, we recognize that you're pouring out your love, your grace, and your mercy on our afflicted souls today. Lord, we pray that you would transform our lives, that we would be different people because we spent time with you. And uh, Lord, we want to just be in your presence for these 90 days and beyond to love Fairfield and the world. And so thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.